Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 17. Revelation 17, we're going to be continue our series on end time prophecy this morning. And uh, we still have a few weeks left on this, and so it'll probably take us through probably uh, August or so. Uh, and so we, uh, I'm having a good time studying this. We're going to do really part two of last week. We started last week on the false church. And uh, there's so much information there, it was difficult to finish in one week. And so we are going to look again at the false, the false church. We saw this past uh, uh, several weeks as our study. We have seen this. We've studied the rapture of the church, which the Bible tells us this, that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. The dead in Christ, what does that mean? It means those that have put their faith in trust in Jesus Christ, those that are born again, those that are saved. Those that have passed on, the dead, those that have gone before us, those that are saved, the trump of God is going to sound, and the Bible says they're going to rise first. And then those that are alive and remain. So if Jesus Christ were to come back right now, those that have trusted him that have gone before us, they're going to rise. And those of us that are sitting here today, we're going to meet them in the clouds. Forever be with Jesus Christ. That's called the rapture of the church. And what's going to happen then after the rapture of the church, some uh, events are going to unfold. And then we find and we study the tribulation. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. And we find the book of Daniel. We find in Revelation that there's going to be three and a half years of peace. There's going to be one called the Antichrist. And he is going to rise up and he's going to have political power. There's going to be 10 Ten uh, kings that rise up and three of those, three of those are going to be removed and the Antichrist is going to come in and he is going to gain political power. He's going to gain, uh, 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 begin a one world government. We showed you last week, how many of you, how many of you were here last week? You saw the picture of the coin I showed you from the, the uh, euro, the two euro, be it like our two dollar, uh, two euro coin. On that two-year-old coin, there's a picture of a, a woman riding a beast. That woman is uh, uh, one that's depicted in Greek mythology. And if you were to go to the, to the, to the uh, uh, headquarters of the European Union in Belgium, what you would find sitting outside of their headquarters is a statue of a woman in a, riding a beast. A woman's name is Europa. That's where Europe comes from. Europa was a goddess and Zeus saw this woman and took her into the sea and committed a, a immoral act. And, and it's, it's, the mythology has her riding the beast out of the sea, just like John saw. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. We find this to be true as well. If you were to look and the the rendering, the, one of the first renderings of the, of the European Union, the, the art that was being done, was the Tower of Babel. And it said this, many tongues, one nation. I showed you the Tower of Babel, the whole purpose of Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, was to build a, build a tower that reached the heavens so there was a name for themselves. And since the beginning of man's fall, there's always been an attempt to have a religion or to be worshipped, not to worship God as God desires to be worshipped, for man, though, to be worshipped. Nimrod was one in Genesis that, that started the Tower of Babel, the building of the Tower of Babel, and God came down and confused their tongues and separated them and, and caused them to, to scatter upon all the earth because their attempt to build this tower, not so that God was worshipped, so that man was worshipped. 
We're going to find this in the end times as we've studied. The Antichrist is going to make an alliance with the false religion. The woman riding the beast, the woman would be false religion. The beast representing the, uh, 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 the government, the one world government. And together, they are going to begin to rule the world during the time of tribulation, the seven year of tribulation. That woman is the false church. We read of that in Revelation chapter 17. The false church. And we studied this about the false church. We last week saw the identifications of the false church. It's a corrupt church. It's a church where it's centered upon man. It's a church uh, that is not centered around the, the gospel, the word of God, Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a compromising church. It's a church that has compromised, and we're going to see some of this today. It compromised their theology and has compromised their doctrine. And we find in Revelation chapter number one, if you'd go there with me, if you would read these with me, this, uh, the verses that we'll study from today will be on the screen. And we'll be in di several different places here today, and you can follow along either in your Bible or on your screen. There's a Bible. Many of you will have a Bible in front of you in one of the chairs, and you can feel free to use that. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that Bible. We want everyone, everyone to have a Bible so that you can read it. Revelation 17, 1, the Bible says this. There came one of the seven angels, which had seven veils, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten thorns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And I mentioned this last week, the worldwide following of this false church is going to be drawn by her compromise. This false church is going to compromise what they believe. She'll be willing to ride the, the government representing the beast, aligning herself with these ten ten kings or these ten horns as we've previously studied and this is going to give them power there's going to be a one world religion there's going to be a one world currency there's going to be a one world government where the antichrist is going to build a image and the bible says that that all is going to be required to worship that image and there's going to be a mark given, and we call that the, the mark of the beast. There's going to be a mark, the Bible says, given in their hand and given in their forehead. And what's interesting, if you were to read the Bible, you'd find where it says in their hand or in their forehead. And no one is going to be able to buy, sell, or trade without this mark. And to receive that mark means this, that you're going to worship the image. You're going to worship the Antichrist. And so what we're going to find is this, that all the religions of the world are going to compromise, come together. They're going to be a part of this one world 
government. The ultimate perversion of the truth will come in the form of an apostate church. This church, this religion is not going to be one that believes in the deity of Jesus Christ. This is going to be one that denies Jesus Christ. This is not going to be the one that points man to heaven and, and uh, through Christ. This is going to be one that says that there's many ways to heaven, that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven. And the Bible says this in verse number five of Revelation chapter number 17. And upon her forehead was a name written, mystery, Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. In similar fashion to a morally impure woman, this church is going to embrace many religious partners. And this church is going to sell her way into a greater world influence through the Antichrist. Combined, this blended version of all faiths and some may ask themselves this, how could that ever happen? How could that happen? Could you imagine everyone that believes something different coming together? We saw this, the integration of the false church. We studied the idolatry of it. We saw it politically. And we stopped last week at the integration of theology. And that's where I want to spend our time here today and really dig into this, the integration of theology of this false church. A state church of this size and influence, it's difficult to comprehend, isn't it? But I want to submit to you this morning, there is already, however, a religious power that has an embassy in every major nation in the world. There is a religious power. Every nation, every major nation in this world has an embassy from this major power. And that, that religious power is called the Roman Catholic Church. The United States itself, we send ambassadors to the Vatican. And although the, the political power held by the final day's church, it is going to far exceed the power of the Vatican, we see through that Roman Catholic Church that there can be a state church of size and influence. In the state church that we speak of here, this false church, the woman riding that beast, that woman is going to possess even greater power and greater influence. And so we see this week, I want to look at the integration of theology. I want to read a, a, a news article for you. In April 2000, the United States Pentagon rescinded the invitation they had previously extended to evangelists uh, by the name of Franklin Graham. They had asked Franklin Graham to come and lead prayer at the Pentagon National Day of Prayer. And that invitation was then re, uh, rescinded once he was asked to come. And because of his beliefs in Islam is why they asked him not to come. In an interview Tuesday with USA Today, Graham reiterated his belief that Muslims do not worship the same God the Father that I worship, he says. Many manifestations of gods, of God, he said. No elephant with a hundred arms can do anything for me. None of their 9,000 gods is going to lead me to salvation. He said this, we are fooling ourselves if we think we have some big kumbaya service and all hold hands and it's all going to get better in this world. He said this, it's not going to get better. Graham called revoking his invitation to prayer service a slap at evangelical Christians. 
He said this, I'm being restricted from my religious rights and from what I believe, Graham warned as he uh, complained of a growing secularization in the government. And here is one, the reason why he was going to uh, be told he could not come and pray is because he did not believe that there was many ways to heaven. He did not believe that we all worship the same God. He believed that Jesus Christ is the way, is the truth, and is the life. And because of his stance, he was denied the opportunity to come and pray in Jesus' name in America. How many of you ever heard the name Oprah Winfrey? And if you men watch that, be honest. Huh? Oprah Winfrey clearly articulated the pluralism that denies the preeminence and inclusivity of Christ. When a guest on her show attempted to explain her belief that Jesus was the only way to heaven, Oprah responded with this. One of the mistakes human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live. She went on to say this, and that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world. There are many paths to what you call God. There can't possibly be just one way. And this is just being indoctrinated and told in humanism and secularism across this world. But I want to submit to you this, that Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we know that the Bible is in, in, in contrast to all those that would say that there is more than one way to heaven. There is not more than one way to heaven. The Bible says Jesus is the way, and there is only one way to heaven. The great late preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said this, you cannot have unity without compromising the truth, and to forsake truth for the sake of unity is to betray Jesus Christ. Listen, there cannot be unity unless you're willing to compromise. And when someone then is willing to compromise, what they will compromise on is Jesus Christ. And there's a cry right now around their world for unity. There's a cry right now for around the world to our, for us to come together. And it doesn't matter your religious differences or your religious doctrine. All that matters is peace in unity. But there cannot be peace when one denies the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to tell us in Colossians 2, Eight and nine, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy in vain deceit after the traditions of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible tells us and warns us to beware of them that would teach, beware of them that would understand, beware of those that would say that there's someone other than Jesus. Beware. The Bible goes on also, it says this in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so the scripture instructs us to be cautious, to be careful. And this message here today, and I want to show you some things that are happening in our world today this call for unity for this false church. And what we've laid out previously and what we come to today is we laid out that there is already the, 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 the plan for a one world government. We said this, there was a 
G20 summit just a few weeks ago and our president in the United States is still a sovereign nation and our president and our Congress should have the ability to opt in or opt out of one any agreement they want to opt in or opt out of. And our president, whether you agree or disagree with the, uh, the Paris Accord, the fact of the matter is this, as a sovereign nation, our president should have every right and the power to be a part or not a part of whatever agreement he chooses to be in. When he walked away from that agreement there at the G20, they were against him and the, Bible, the, the, uh, the, the news media and, and the uh, 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 newspaper articles read this, G19 verse 1. The, the, the uh, chancellor of, of Germany said this, that he doesn't have the power or the authority to opt out of that agreement. So all the nations standing together as one using their influence and using their voice, we see it happening right before our eyes, a political system, an economic system, a globalization of all of the economies of the world. Why? Because there is a framework that's being done right now to lay out the one world government Along with that, with that woman that's riding the beast, that woman represents the religion, and we see the same thing happening in religion where all the religions of this world that are left during the time of the tribulation are going to compromise and come together as one. This is interesting. I have not had the opportunity to thoroughly read through this. But how many of you have seen just on the news just this week there was some situation that happened in, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem was in lockdown, the temple of the, the mount, and, and when they opened it back up, they put metal detectors, and the Muslims had protested those metal detectors, so they refused to go to the temple of the mount to do their service. And so the first time in 70-year history there of the state of Israel, the Jews are the only ones there praying on the temple of the mount. Boy, that is of significance we're finding that Jesus Christ can return any day. Everything is set up and lined up for this to happen. And the thing that's lined up and is setting up as well is this, this false religion, this false church. And the Bible warns us in Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12, the Bible says, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And we find the world going down this path. We find the world coming to the place where they believe they know what's right. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. All that matters is what they feel. Listen to me, the, the Bible is true. The Bible is God's word. And it doesn't matter what a human being thinks. If he thinks something contrary to the word of God, God, the word of God is right and that person is wrong no matter how sincere that person may be Some, something interesting I found as well how many of you have ever heard of the Dalai Lama how many of you have ever heard of him this is a, a religious leader in our world he wrote a book that book that was written is called toward a true kinship of faiths Subtitle is this, how the world's religions can come together. He's advocating for the world religions to come together. He suggests that people can continue to accept their own religious beliefs as definite truth, while at the same time believe that opposing faiths are equally true. 
And so his reason to be able to come together, his desire is to, for all the world's religions to come together. His subtitle is how the world's religions can what? Come together. And that is this. You don't have to give up what you believe. All you have to do is be willing to let someone else believe what they believe. Compromise. Compromise on theology. Well, Christian, the reality is this. Those of us that are Bible-believing Christians, we cannot accept that as truth. We cannot believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and then believe that somebody else can believe something else to get to heaven because the Bible says there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father, and that way is through Jesus Christ. uh, This book says this, in quote, while allowing openness to... uh, to to interpret in matters of practice and culture, which in any case pertains to guidelines for living within a society. Even a religious pluralistic can accept that the doctrines of his own scripture that are primarily pertain to ultimate truth are definite. In other words, one can be a religious pluralist yet maintain for oneself the doctrinal aspects of one's own tradition as representative uh, definitive truth. It's only conceivable that some that that this could happen if every major religion that's represented in this world would be willing to compromise what they believe. Now, I want to get into some things here that I hope will help you understand this morning. I want you to consider this following recent report about the Muslim population. And stay with me. I want to give you this fact, and I'm going somewhere with this, but you got to see where I'm going. The world's Muslim population stands at 1.57 billion people. That's a lot of people, isn't it? In percentages, that would be this. 23% of the world's population would be Muslim. 23%. In a Pew Research Center forum on religious public life, said its study was based on demographic data from 232 countries and territories. The study found Muslims inhabit all five continents, but more than 60% of them are in Asia, and another 20% are in the Middle East and North Africa. The Middle East, North Africa region has the highest percentage of Muslim-majority countries with more than 20 countries and territories reporting a Muslim population of 95% or more. About one-fifth of the world's Muslim population or more than 300 million people live in countries where Islam is not the majority religion. India, which is predominantly Hindu, has the world's third largest Muslim population. China has more Muslims than Syria while Russia is home to more Muslims than Jordan and Libya combined. One of the world's, one of the world's total Muslims, uh, of the world's total Muslims, 10, 10 to 13% are Shiite, 87 to 90% are Sunnis, and between 69 and 80% of all Shiites live in Iran, Pakistan, India, Iraq, and similar nations, this study found. You say, what's the significance of that? Between the two most popular religions in the world, the Roman Catholic Church and the Muslim faith, nearly two-thirds of the world's population is represented. That's an important fact, and and I'm going to show you why. Almost two-thirds of the world's population you'll find in two major religions, the Roman Catholic Church 
in the Muslim world. It's a lot of people. I want to read a statement from the Catholic Church that indicates that religions are more compatible, compatible, these two religions, than one might think. Listen to this from the church. But the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. Did you hear just hear that? How many of you would agree with that statement? How many of you are awake right now? But the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator. That first statement is false. Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. You can acknowledge the Creator and die and go to hell if you think that the Creator is a way to heaven outside of Jesus. The Bible says this, in the first place amongst whom are the Muslims, these profess to hold the faith of Abraham and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge of the last day. The church also uh, has also a high regard for the Muslims. They worship God who is one, living in substance, merciful and almighty, the creator of heaven and earth who has also spoken to men. They strive to submit themselves without reserve to the forbidden degrees of God, just as Abraham submitted himself to God's plan, to whose faith Muslims eagerly link their own. Although not acknowledging him as God, they worship Jesus as a prophet. His virgin mother they also honor and even times devoutly invoke. This is a statement from the Catholic Church about Muslims. And that's two-thirds of the world's religion. And what they're saying is this. Jesus doesn't have to be the only way to heaven. We'll compromise on that. In June of 2009, the Pope visited Jordan and prayed with Muslim leaders. On a previous occasion, he prayed with the Blue Mosque in Istanbul concerning a November 4th meeting. There was a news article that I found that reported this. In Vatican City, senior Vatican and Islamic scholars launched their first Catholic Muslim forum on Tuesday to improve relations between the world's two largest faiths by discussing what unites and what divides them. The meeting included an audience with the Pope Benedict in the group's third conference with Christians after talks with United States Protestants in July in the Anglicans in uh, this past month. Delegation leaders and, and uh, uh, Bosnian Grand Muftah opened their session with a moment of silence so delegation, delegates, each comprising of 28 members and advisors, could say their own prayers for its success. Here's the two major faiths in the world coming together. One saying, we believe this, but we're willing to compromise and accept what you believe. Coming together in all 28 delegates, then they get together, they were willing to allow a time of prayer so they could pray to whoever they desired to pray to so that they then could have success in their meeting. Here's two-thirds of the world's faith, the religion, coming together to compromise. It's important to see. Because someone might say, I don't understand. I can't see how, how the world religion can come together because we believe so differently. And what I'm showing you today is this. It's happening right before your eyes. Two-thirds of the religions of the day are willing to compromise what they believe so that there could be unity here upon this earth. The following quote from a man by the name of Dr. Albert Moeller 
he, uh, he writes this article, and, and this is why Bible-believing Christians must reject it. And listen to this article. While the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Islam is both erroneous and incomplete, it also holds that sincere Muslims can be included in Christ's salvation through their faithfulness to monotheism and Islam. No, listen to me. We believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Being sincere in your religion can't save a person. If the way to heaven was through sincerity, then anybody could be saved. Then any religion would go to heaven. And if that was the case, then Jesus Christ would not have to have come. He would not have to have died. His blood would have not had to have been shed. But we know this, that the only only way for a man to be redeemed back to God is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ for a person to acknowledge that they've sinned for a person to accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and there is no other way a person can be saved outside of the shed blood of Jesus Christ so for a Bible believing Christian they cannot believe that Muslims can be included in Christ's salvation because of their faithfulness to monotheism in Islam. Thus, when the Catholic Pope speaks of respecting Islam, he can do so in a way that evangelical Christians cannot. Within the context of the official Catholic teaching, the Pope can create a fusion of diplomacy and doctrine. Listen to me, it's not up to man to decide what the Bible says. Man can't add to the word of God. Nowhere does the Bible give any leeway to a person being born again outside of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No man can go to the Father but through Jesus. And it's not up to a preacher. It's not up to a religious leader to change that. No man has the power to change doctrine. No man has the power to change or create a fusion of diplomacy. Listen to me. If I ever stood in this pulpit and claimed that there is any other way to heaven outside of Jesus Christ, you should stand and run me out of this place because there's only one way to heaven. But as we see happening right now before our very eyes, we see two-thirds of the religion of this world coming together and giving each other a pass on theology. Saying this, as long as they're sincere, I want you to see this. In May of 2009, the state legislator of Hawaii overwhelmingly approved a bill to celebrate an annual Islam day. Now, listen to me, this is America where you cannot take and hand out scripture Bibles in a public school where a teacher could not stand and pray in Jesus' name, where a teacher could not give the gospel to her students. But there in Hawaii, there was a overwhelmingly approved bill to celebrate an annual Islam day. And re, uh, hear this, in Honolulu, Hawaii State Senate overwhelmingly approved a bill Wednesday to celebrate Islam day over the objection of a few lawmakers who said they didn't want to honor religion connected to September 11th. And this is what their senator said. We are a state of tolerance. 
And we find this to be true. Those that want to stand and pray in the name of Jesus, like Billy Graham, he's told that he cannot pray in the name of Jesus. He cannot pray. He cannot be a part of a national day of prayer because of his belief system. While at the same time, there are states in this country that are passing National Islam Day, allowing the students to learn, allowing the students to pray, teaching them that that's okay. And what we find here in the, in the Bible, in Revelation chapter 17, we learn of this false church. We learn of this false religion. And in this false religion, there's going to be a compromise. And all the face of the world, all the religions of the world are going to compromise on their theology. They're going to begin to believe that you can get to heaven whichever way you desire to get to heaven. They're going to believe and teach that all religions can get you to the same place as long as you sincerely believe in God. Matter of fact, there's churches in this very city, Toledo, not this city of Monclova that I know of, but in Toledo. I had a fellow in our church that was witnessing and giving out a track and telling someone about Jesus. And that person said to them this, I go to a church and he named the church and uh, said, but I've never heard that before. And so that church member here at Monclova called the pastor of that church and began to talk to that pastor and said, I mentioned this to one of your church members and they never, they had never heard the gospel message as clear as I told them. And so I'm just calling you, you say you're a Christian church and you believe the Bible and teach the Bible. So I'm just calling to see what you believe about salvation. And that pastor said this, we don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the only way. Now, how can you pick and choose what you believe in the Bible? Either you believe the Bible and you teach the Bible and you believe that Jesus is the only way or you don't believe anything the Bible says. And I'm saying to you today, there's a compromise that we're going to find during the tribulation time. And we see that happening right now in church. I want to warn you and I want you to be very careful because there are some that are saying, let everyone just get along for the sake of unity, for the sake of, of prosperity, for the sake of success. If all of us could just get together and compromise, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what your doctrine is. All that matters is peace and in unity, and that is going to be the cry from the one world religion. Peace and unity, and the, and the, the uh, Antichrist is going to come in, and he's going to ride that and say, that's exactly what we want. Peace and unity. And he's going to set up economic uh, conditions. He's going to set up a government of peace and unity. He's going to go in with Israel and bring a false peace and unity with Israel. But the whole purpose the whole purpose isn't to get someone to get to heaven. The whole purpose is a selfish purpose with power behind it to get them to worship the image of the beast. And it's happening before our eyes. And Christian, listen to me, at any moment, Jesus Christ can come. I want to show you the invitation of a true Savior. Jesus said this in Revelation 22, 16 and 17. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. I'm the spirit of the bride. Say, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We see this invitation of the true Savior. The true Savior says this, I'm not 
not going to cast anybody out. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever needs something, let him come. But let him come to the right one. That right one is Jesus Christ. He said, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. Listen to me, there is a religion in this world that is showing people that it's about religion, it's about works, it's about what you can do. But my friend, this morning, there's nothing you can do to merit salvation. Jesus Christ has already done it. Oh, and the greatest thing about Jesus is this. The Bible says that anyone that's thirsty can come. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is the only way, and he doesn't refuse anyone that comes by the way of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, 16 and 17, it gives us the invitation of the true Savior. And I want you to see the source of this invitation this morning. In contrast to the spiritually deceptive church of the Antichrist, Christ is the only legitimate source to eternal life. Listen, it doesn't matter what the main religions of this world say. It doesn't matter what their, their, their reason for coming together for unity and peace. What matters is truth. And what truth says is this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. There are many that are believing in religion. There's many that are believing in false religion. There's many that are, that are sincerely believing in religion, but they are sincerely believing in the wrong thing. And sincerely believing doesn't get you to heaven, but sincerely believing in truth is what gets you to heaven. And listen to me, church, we must recognize that. The source of the invitation in Luke chapter 1, verse 31 and 32, the Bible says, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Just like Revelation chapter number 22 says this, I am the root and the offspring of David. We find in Luke chapter number one, we find who that root is. We find who that offspring, uh, uh, offspring of David is. And that root and that offspring is the Messiah. It is Jesus Christ. And he came for one reason, and that was to seek and to save the lost. He was born in this world of a virgin. He was born in the world. He was called the son of the highest. He is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a religious leader. He is God. He is the son of God. He is God in flesh. And he came to this world for one reason, not to introduce us into another religion, not to introduce us to another teaching. He came into this world to seek and to save sinners that were lost. He came to this world for one reason, and that was to give life and life more abundant to those that are thirsty. Listen, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. That Jesus, that Messiah, is spoken of in Luke 1, 32 and 33. We see the source of the invitation. We see who that is, is Jesus Christ, the one that the angels said to name him Jesus. We find this to be true as well. In John 14, 6, the Bible says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen to me, Christian. It's so clear there. There's no other way. He doesn't give us any way for any other attempt to get to heaven outside of Jesus Christ. We also find in Acts 4, 12, the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. 
saved, he is so very clear. Once again, all throughout scripture, we find the Bible is so clear. There is no wiggle room. There is no other way. The only way for a person to have eternal life is through Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, Christian, we have been doing these end time prophecy. We have come the last couple of weeks to a place in prophecy where the reality is we're not going to be here. Those of you that have trusted Jesus Christ, you're not going to be here during the seven year tribulation. The rapture takes place. The Antichrist then comes. Then we see all of the events here that we have been studying the last few weeks during the time of the tribulation, the judgment that comes, the Antichrist, the, the hook that is put in the mouth, the jaw of Russia, Gog and Magog to come against Israel. We find all those events take place while we're not here. And so we sit here today and we say, praise God, we're not going to be here. Thank the Lord that we're not going to be here during this judgment. Next week, we're going to begin on our combined service. We're going to look at the judgment. It's going to be an interesting thing, I believe, a study. But we're not going to be here during those times. And so we could say, why does it matter? Why do we care? We know the truth. And I would say this church, that we are here as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are not here to compromise. We are not here to be quiet. We are not here to know what the truth is and sit with it still by ourselves, silently in our homes and raise our families. And as long as our families know the Lord, then we've done our part. No, the Bible says to us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, our goal, our job as a Christian is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Our goal through this series is for us to understand what the Bible says, for us to understand the prophecy that's been given to us. Even though we won't be here, I want to submit to this. Somebody's going to be. You look around. You look at your neighbors. You look at your coworkers. You look at your family. And you decide who you think ought to hear the gospel and who shouldn't hear the gospel. Listen to me, the Bible tells us there's going to be a belief and we see it happening today. There's going to be a compromise on theology. There's going to be a woman riding that beast, that woman representing false religion or the false church. And they're going to convince people that it's okay. Believe however you want to believe as long as you're sincere. If you believe in Jesus, wonderful. If you don't believe in Jesus, that's okay. As long as you believe that there's only one God. But listen to me, that belief is going to send people to hell for all of eternity. And I don't know how a Bible-believing Christian, I don't know how a born-again, saved individual could be comfortable with that. If you have the answer to the world's problems, if you have the answer to eternal life, I don't know how somebody could hold it and hide it. If you knew the cure that the world needed, how in the world, if you knew the truth, could you hold on to the truth? I don't understand how a Christian could be saved and never once share the gospel message. I don't know how a Christian could be saved and too embarrassed to sell somebody that believes in false hope and believes in a false church and believes in a false religion that it's okay. How could you sit with truth and not share that truth? I don't know. The Bible tells us this in 1 John 5, 11, and this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The Bible goes on to say this, he that hath the son hath life. 
And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Listen to me, Christian, it's so clear in this one verse. If it was just one verse, we could hang it on here. The reality is this, there's verses all throughout the Bible. But this one verse is so clear. He that hath the Son hath life. Say it with me, if you would please. Here we go. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. Listen to me, if a person doesn't have life, it's death for all eternity. One of the saddest portions of the Bible, I believe, is the rich man when he died and he went to hell. The Bible says in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torment. He said, do whatever you can. Send Lazarus, send, send Lazarus to tell my brethren not to come to this place. Listen to me, hell is not gonna be a place of partying. Hell is not gonna be a place of rejoicing. Hell is not gonna be a place of their fulfilling their lust. Hell is not gonna be a place of enjoyment. Hell is gonna be a place of torment. Hell is a place where the worm dieth not. Hell is a place where people will spend all eternity burning in flames, all of eternity, never with help or hope. Listen to me, that ought to consume us as Christians. Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again to rapture the church, church, it ought to encourage us. The Bible, matter of fact, it says this, comfort one another with these words. That's something for the believer to rejoice in. But knowing that there's going to be a judgment here upon this earth, knowing that people are going to die and spend eternity in hell, knowing that there's going to be a false church, and we see it happening today, leading people down the wrong path, leading them to one by one, they're falling off the cliff of eternity, and they're dying and spending eternity in hell. Why, Christian, can we hold the truth? What could be so important in our life? What could we be doing? What could be so important? What could be so critical that our time and our finances and our effort is given to something that doesn't have anything to do with eternity? How can we not speak the truth to those that need it? When the Bible's so very clear, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The Bible says this in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the Bible says this, for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was in Montreal one time, and I've told you this story before, but it's a story, an image I can never get out of my mind. Here's this man. He needed, he needed something in his life. He needed prayers answered, and he was praying to St. Joseph, and St. Joseph, I guess, could supposedly give him healing. And on these steps, as I looked up this long hill, these steps, these wooden steps, this man on his hands and knees would crawl up one step and pray, crawl up the other step and pray, crawl up the other step and pray, and it took, seemingly took him for ever to get up these steps, stopping at each one to pray, calloused on his hands, bleeding on his elbows and his knees by the time he got to this top, just hoping, just hoping that St. Joseph would hear his prayer, just hoping that someone would hear his cries, just hoping he'd find favor, hoping they'd see what he put himself through, hoping that his works were good enough, only to find that you can't pray to a false image, that you can't pray to an idol. The only one that can hear your prayer is God Almighty. And the only one that hears his prayer if you go in Jesus' name. Listen to me, there's so many. There's so many in this world that are going the way of false religion. 
and you and I have truth. We have the answer. I went to the doctor. I had some pain in my side a few months ago, and I went to the emergency room and thought I had kidney stones. I went to the emergency room. They said, you don't have stones, so they sent me to a urologist, and he did all these checks, and they found a spot on my bladder. And uh, I met with a doctor, and I said, Doc, I don't care what you have to do. I want medicine. I want whatever, but I want to get healed. I want to get fixed. And I looked at him, I said, I don't care what it takes. I got five kids. I want to see Jacob get married and the four girls live in my house the rest of their life. I want to see, I'm not, I'm not a male chauvinist. I just don't believe there's a boy good enough to marry my girls, you know? Um, And I said, I I want to see them graduate. I want to see them grow up. What I was saying is this, if you got the answer, don't you hide it from me. If he would have said to me, I know what the problem is and I got something to heal you, but I don't think I'm going to share it. I'd have punched that doctor right in his nose. Listen to me. We do the same thing with salvation. Every day you have a neighbor that's looking for the answer. And you've, you've figured out what their problem is. You've diagnosed the problem and you've got the cure and you refuse to give them that prescription. Every day you go to work and you've diagnosed the, the, the problem and you've got the cure and you, forget, you, you, you neglect to give them the prescription. Oh, you sit at family gatherings and you see the diagnosis and you know what the cure is, but you refuse to give them the diagnosis or the the, the cure. You go around the neighborhood, you stop at the gas station, you have a waitress wait on you for lunch, you deal with people every day, you have people you buy, you sell, you trade with people you do business with, and you know the problem, you know what their issue is, you know the diagnosis, you know they have a problem, you know it's going to kill them, you know you have the prescription and you sit on it and you refuse to give them. And that's the condition of the church. world sits in darkness, believing that compromise is the answer. And we as Christians refuse to tell. How many of you say there's a problem? Well, listen to me, if you don't raise your hand, that's the problem. There's a problem. And we have cursed the world we have blamed the world and the truth is they're just behaving like the world the problem sits in these chairs because we have the truth we are commissioned ambassadors of the truth and we need to decide that we're going to do our job in telling the sick how to be healed telling the thirsty how to find drink, telling the naked how to be clothed, telling the hungry how to eat so they too can spend eternity with Jesus. Six of our young people 
were gloriously saved this past week. Man, when I heard that, I've been rejoicing ever since. I almost did a little dance. But Baptists don't dance, so I didn't. I came close. Just kidding, I did. <laughs> Nobody was watching. I was so excited. Six for young people trusted Christ. My son said this. I talked to my son the other night. My phone rings and it's midnight and I look and it's my son. And, J and Michelle says, who is that? And I said, it's Jacob. And we both said, oh no. Him and a couple boys probably took the bus out joyriding. <laughs> they went off a cliff. Probably did it with that brown boy. <laughs> Bunch of boys go out and got into trouble with Jacob. I answered the phone. I said, Jacob, what's wrong? He said, Dad, it was a good night. I said, how's the bus? He said, I don't know. I said, are you on the side of a cliff? He said, no, I'm in my room. I said, what are you calling me for then? <laughs> he said, Dad, God moved in a great way tonight. I said, tell me about it, son. He said, Dad, everybody from our youth group made decisions tonight. He said, even some got saved. I said, tell me what the preacher preached. Give me the tape so I can listen to it and I can preach it. I can't get anybody down the altar. He said, the preacher asked us three questions in his message. He said, you're saved and you're on fire for God. You're saved and you're lukewarm. Or you're pretending you need to be saved. I want to ask our church the same thing this morning. You're saved and you're on fire for God? Are you saved or you're just lukewarm? Or are you sitting here today and you're just pretending? Just going through the motions. Going through the motions. Following that road of compromise. Doctrine doesn't matter. Salvation doesn't matter just going through the motions. I believe this, there's only one answer. And if the answer is not, I'm saved and I'm on fire for God, then there's something that needs to change. Because the world is going down this path of compromise. Anything you believe can get you to heaven as long as you believe. That is going to send them to hell. There's only one way. That way is Jesus Christ. You can't go right or left. You got to stay on that path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you know him today? If you know him, are you on fire for him? I hung up the phone. I said to my wife, our kids are excited about the Lord. And you know what's going to kill that? I said to Michelle, unless you and I change, they're going to come back to everything the same. And the excitement's going to be gone. And so I evaluate my life, and I ask you to evaluate yours. Are you lukewarm? 
I want my children to serve God with all their heart. I want them to be concerned about the lost. I don't want them to compromise. I want them to be sold out for Christ. 